Hello. Hello, and welcome to Apprentice Plus. A podcast of... Third uh, <laughs> <laughs> time's the charm. What is happening? Hello, and welcome to Apprentice Plus. A podcast about apprentice life at Triad Stage. I'm your host, Andy, the Props Apprentice. I'm Catherine, the Stage Management and Production Management Apprentice. I'm Sarah, the Costume Shop and Wardrobe Apprentice. I'm Marie, the Carpentry Apprentice. And I'm Keaton, the Artistic Apprentice. How's everyone's week going so far? It's good. Rainy. Very rainy. Very, very rainy. Some of us have been super busy with the upcoming telethon that Triad is going to do. The Telethon is a really exciting project. We are going to have several um, featured performers doing uh, live music for us. We're going to hear from um, some artists that have worked at Triad Stage over the years, um, describe what the company means to them. Um, There will be some trivia throughout the night um, to celebrate the company's history um, and to raise funds as we move forward um, into the future. Oh, Keaton better not be participating in that trivia. Then it would just win it all. <laughs> I'll be. Uh, I'm working on some questions, so uh, ah, yeah, I will not be participating. <laughs> yeah, and Catherine's also trying to figure out all of the actual logistics of it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. She learned so much about Facebook video and like what it can do. She has become a technology wizard. It's been a lot of fun to play around with and figure out how we're going to live stream it over Facebook and and have people call in from Zoom and have people live in the cabaret at Triad. Um, It definitely has allowed me to exercise my production management and stage management skills a little bit. So it's been a lot of fun, and I think it's going to be a really good event. I think we're going to have a good turnout, and people are going to really enjoy what we're going to put out there. Uh, We'll we'll have some... um, uh drink-making lessons from Mark Weddle of uh, Sutler Spirits, who's been doing Uncomplicated Cocktails on our uh, Facebook page. And those performers I mentioned are Laurelyn Dosick, um, who has written several shows that have premiered at Triad Stage, Riley Boggess, um, who has played in both productions of Brother Wolf, and Lisa Dames and Sean Patch. Uh, and as long as we're plugging stuff as well, I know this podcast will be coming out on the Monday, which is the last day you can ensure a spot for your child or student in the Summer Performance Academy, which is now virtual online through Zoom. So even if you're listening to this from Texas or anywhere around the world, you can participate in this workshop and work with professional teaching artists on a number of different programs. You can just sign up for a week. You can sign up for four weeks. Uh, There are a lot of great opportunities with that as well. And I figured we should probably say the telethon day, uh, June 16th, 6 to 8 p.m. Facebook triad stage. Put it on your calendar. Oh yeah, that's important. Yeah, if you go to the uh, triad stage Facebook page, you can get a reminder for that, the telethon coming up. Yeah, so Triad has a lot of really exciting things coming up in the near future. We hope you'll check all of that stuff out. Um, Let's go ahead and get right into it. Today, we're going to talk about our first show experience, which uh, was with the show Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about it in a previous episode, but we wanted to dive a little bit deeper and kind of talk about our individual experiences and what we did for the show. My role on Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was assistant dramaturg. Uh, My relationship with Albie's work started 
I believe it was either very late high school or early college. Um, I remember uh, reading um, at home at the zoo, uh, which contains both home life and um, the zoo story. I also remember seeing the goat, or who's Sylvia, on London's West End, um, as well as Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in 2017. Um, and I went into those plays almost completely blind um, with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Really, really, really blind, which I think is the best way to do it. Um, and I remember seeing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and being so taken aback by this masterwork of world drama. Um, and when I got this apprenticeship at Triad Stage, seeing that it was the first show on the season, um, and thinking, wow, uh, how exciting to start off this experience with that story. Um, and so uh, second day of work at Triad Stage was the first uh, rehearsal for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And to see this, um, these actors and creative team dive into this um, remarkably challenging world uh, in such a pure way was really inspiring. I think that um, when there are really um, uh, notable playwrights and, and these, these works that have um, been done and, and known, are known so widely, sometimes that can be intimidating. But I, I think that one of the things that is really special about our company is this willingness to reimagine classics. And even if something has been done a lot, even if people think they know it, let's do it new. Let's do it for now and let's do it for us and our community um, and, and find our truth in it. Um, and it was a gradual process, step by step, but um, there, I felt like there was a really positive, can-do, um, uh, creative spirit from the beginning. And so uh, my, my role during rehearsals was taking um, the Google site, which had been uh, developed by the artistic team before I got here, and updating it as discoveries were made and the table work, um, making sure that that information was at hand as actors or uh, creative team members had questions. Uh, and I learned so much from that first process that I had at Triad. Yeah, I would definitely say it was, I remember when I hearing that Virginia Woolf was the first set, I was like, great, that's just going to be a living room, you know, carpentry-wise. Um, but the set designer, um, Anya, took a really interesting take on it, which is, that she, she wanted to make it akin to a fishbowl. So it was like the audience were, was like watching like this little ecosystem and how it operated and it's just function and, and you really feel like they were looking into this whole little world. Um, and there, I think another standout point of the set too would be the big old wall full of, with the Russian painting of the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. So it's a 19th century painting. That ended up being really fun to have because we were, we put it up from our stock walls. I wasn't there when it was put up, but the whole wall was this uh, giant catastrophe painting of these horrified faces. <laughs> um, and our favorite was the horse that was freaking out. And these were made from our stock walls. So these, these horrified faces were with us in the shop for quite some time. Ripping them apart was really fun because we put 
some of them in the shop bathroom and proceeded to freak everyone out. And they would just go up to uh, people like Andy would go went up to TJ and Shane and just said, "I hate you." <laughs> <laughs> I I love how these pieces can become uh, really meaningful, and even after the show's over, they still live on in the shop or on our second floor we have some of the paintings from Radiant Abundant um, it's really nice to have those memories uh, yes but but Andy what was described to us this year <laughs> 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 oh, to li- relive that moment for our audience <laughs> it didn't even go up right after the show which no, was, it was the a part long that time after. which was the part that got me it wasn't until yeah. like two or three months later when it just went on the wall and I didn't realize it and most of the time all the time I would get to the shop a good while before everyone else so I just went to the restroom in the morning by myself not knowing what was happening I went in turned around and then there were just these three horrified faces glaring at me and it was not a great experience at all I thought it was yes, hilarious the, when I first found them. That that would be Sarah's after I reaction. Warned it was just you, after I warned, warned <laughs> oh, okay. everyone. Fair. Um, the the reason that they didn't show up in the bathroom right after the show was because we didn't need to use those walls again until I believe Pride and Prejudice. Maybe it was It's a Wonderful Life. Um, it was around that time we just had to reuse the, sh- the walls for another show and so taking them off was fun it was, it was just like any sticker that you take off like sometimes it's, it's fun because it all comes off at once and other times it's frustrating because it's like you got a good thing going and then it just like peels off a corner and you're like eh. you yeah. scrape it off another interesting aspect for the, the Virginia Wolf set was um, the rubbers were they medical rubbers? Oh, yes. Because that was part Those of the visual aesthetic. They kept breaking because people kept... People kept touching them. Kept touching them and, like, bringing them back, which was would really mess up, especially the header on top. So then a lot of repainting had to be done whenever they broke off, which was yeah. frustrating. Yes. Because it was... I don't, I don't know. Like, I go to a... You know, and, and no, nothing to the audience. I think most people were very respectful of that, but once in a while you had that bad apple who just felt like they could pull it, pull it back and watch it. I, I'm doing the thing with my hand, I'm going back and forth. So what was the process of putting them up and fixing them if someone broke them? We usually, there was one point where one broke off so many times that we had to get a new rubber, and we only had a, a limited supply, so yeah, we had to um, try to think of the best way to describe they, they were pretty much just put in through drywall screws so and the header was thin enough that that would pierce through which is why we would have to repaint we had to, to grind off the end of the screw and then repaint which is and i'm oh also there were um there was led tape and uh, plexi involved in the header so that was another complication we had to like go around and make sure that we didn't pierce the LED tape. I'm probably forgetting some other details, but that's why it was, it was a very, I did, ha- we, this ended up being a good learning opportunity, but um, 
they would mostly break off from the bottom, which wasn't as big of a deal, but when they broke off from the top, from the header, and the very that happens to the very center, down center stage rubber, it broke off from the top, which it was a which ended up being a very careful and surgical process. When I first saw the Virginia Woolf set at a distance, um, the rubbers actually looked like metal to me. That's, you know, um, and I didn't understand what they were for. I didn't under, I didn't know about the fishbowl concept when I first came in. So I thought it was to ensure, like, I, didn't, I thought that they were temporary and they were just used to ensure that the header and the deck were even. Like, they, they both st started and ended in the same places. And I was like, oh, what a, what a neat process. And, and it, it did end up kind of being used for that in a sense, but it wasn't its main purpose. It was a divine choice. How much of the set had been, you, you came in really late. I came in really late. The whole set was already built. We just had to, I just came in through the middle of the load-in process. And by the first thing, what was already put up was the wall and the, tapestry or the big mirror. what is it mirror yes thank you that's the what i was looking for was already put up and we just had to the deck hadn't been put up which it was a really neat deck um and oh the header was already up but some of the uh it still needed to be painted and the screws still needed to be grinded off so you were there when everyone had to crawl up under it to get the the carpet to go up under the the raised platform pieces i was i was there for that there was also something like the whole light plot had changed and they had to um like redo the header like there was a big thing that i had missed right before um oh we that added was a big poles conference. we added um pipe <laughs> yeah okay yeah oh yeah which I, I could i could imagine with like the header already being up lights already being up why that was I, I believe like it was uh, like a big team effort and like it was all hands on deck kind of thing in that situation. So, yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I missed some hard stuff there. It's <laughs> probably why in my mind it was like, oh, that was a. It wasn't easy for me, but it was like good thing to start with. But I think a lot of the there was also a lot of complications with the painting. It kept. Uh, kept breaking off if that makes any sense so were you painting or was paint crew doing most of the oh painting? that's a good question we actually paint crew did most of it but we did take a day to help them um and we did stain some molding so i never really stained before so that was a cool process for me um i think we did paint the header I think that's just because, you know, it was so high up in the air that we had to use our giant A-frame ladder and the genie, um, and it was just, it was black, so it just ended up being simpler for us to paint the header. So my role with Virginia Wolf was a little bit different, because I came a week before tech, so I was still getting used to everything, like I said in one of the last episodes. The very first thing the props master made me do was build a doorbell that needed to go in the set. And at that point, I hadn't even seen the set. I didn't know what anything looked like. So it was really just me 
doing something very basic and just getting a feel for the shop and how everything works because everyone else had already been really accustomed to everything. It wasn't until the second or third day of me working is when I actually saw the set and knew what was going on and the picture that uh, the designers and the director were trying to tell. And it was really interesting. Um, it was a very cool doorbell, for it, sure. It was very cool. Yeah. Manually rung by our ASM every mm-hmm. night. Several times. The magic of theater. You know, I always just assumed that it it was just a sound cue from the soundboard, and huh, that is really cool. Live sound. Nope, we had our our ASM with a little mallet. (laughs) And a chair. She couldn't reach it. Every time the doorbell needed to ring, which I think only happens twice in the show, Mm -hmm. she just sat there and rang it for us. Uh, The other interesting thing about the set, though, was... Uh, they wanted to make it look like a sunken living room, so the raised platforms were all covered in fabric, almost like a carpet. So part of the time of me also going into Loden was me helping finesse all of that carpeting and then scotch guarding it, just making sure because Virginia Woolf is drinking for three hours straight, um... Just help minimize any type of spill or stains. So I had to scotch guard it several times, help trim it up. So, yeah, I didn't do a lot for that show, but it was still pretty exciting because it was a big, big couple weeks for me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that definitely reminds me that uh, that was a big fear throughout the process was that there was so much liquid on stage and everything was carpet. And the men's shoes would scuff the yellow fabric that Andy was talking about. Oh, we had yeah. to do some some shoe tests to guard it. Mm-hmm. On the deck, the it was yeah the very thin yellow fabric, but um, the shag carpet we didn't really have to worry about because right. it was nice and shaggy. We did have to worry about it because oh, no. at the end of part one, George breaks a bottle in the middle of the set, so we just had breakable glass all over the set oh and it's even harder to find with and i think preston kind of had a genius idea when we got into tech of how are we going to clean this let's have george or the actor that played george actually get a vacuum out and just vacuum it up oh during one of the intermissions during the first intermission Um... and it worked because he had, like, his fit of rage, broke the bottle, and then realized, oh, crap, I messed up. That now I have to clean up my own mess. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun seeing people. And this is a, I think the show clocked in at about 3.15, 3.20. People were, and it says on the signage that it's a three-act play, and there would be people that would sit in their seats that whole intermission and watch Mark so intently mm-hmm. vacuum because that character was still going through his journey and even though there was no dialogue, there were so many nuances in his behavior that were just, I thought, really fascinating to watch. That was also one of the like beautiful things that came up during tech. It wasn't super predetermined, but it was also one of those instances of how collaborative triad is, because it was a conversation with everyone, not just Preston making the decision. He would talk to the lighting designer, he would talk to the sound designer, just be like, what do we all think about this? Can we make it work? Props. Can we get a period accurate working vacuum? 
So it was a lot of collaboration, and it wasn't just like a one-person decision. Yeah, that definitely was admirable that um, they had safety in mind, but also were able to make an artistic choice that uh, worked to solve that problem. So Sarah, what was your experience in our first show at Tryout Stage? Uh, So I came into the shop, and Virginia Woolf was all pulls, no builds. Uh, which was nice because uh, that gave me a little bit more time to familiarize myself with the shop before major builds for Dracula came in. I came in during the first round of fittings, I believe, um, and got to see the fitting process. The designer is actually a professor at uh, UNCSA, so uh, Bill was able to come and be at the fittings, which was a huge plus. It was nice to meet him and work with him. And see the research process a little bit because he had created mood boards but I don't think he ever made official renderings uh, at that point because he was pulling so much and uh, just kind of looked around at all the different options there which was so much fun to see him pull and alter vintage dresses for the ladies. Um, so my main role for Virginia Woolf was as wardrobe supervisor. It was an interesting process because I came in uh, and at the time when I first came in, we had a wardrobe supervisor contracted for the show, and I was going to be her crew, and she was just going to show me the ropes of how uh, Triad Stage does tech week and the process. But then um, some complications occurred, and she had to drop. And I became the wardrobe supervisor. Uh, and this was the best show for it to happen on, because there is one change, and we had ten whole minutes to do it, so it wasn't even a quick change. And then everything else was just, you know, tracking hats and and coats and just chilling backstage. It was a very easy show to run. The hardest part was just it was so long and there was so little to do and keep track of that, um, yeah, we just, there were long periods backstage where the ASM, the run crew and I were just kind of sitting back there. Uh, you know, we couldn't talk to each other, obviously. We didn't want to make too much noise. So we were just sitting there uh, hanging out and staring at each other for, you know, maybe 30 minutes at a time. <laughs> um, but at the same time, because of the pace of this show and because of it being so easy on the costumes, this was the show to come in and learn how Tech Week works because... I was unfamiliar with the tech week process at Triad, so I learned that, I learned what a 10 out of 12 was, I saw what my role as supervisor was and the expectations, I saw the procedure for laundry and dry cleaning and the setup of the dressing room, so I had a large learning curve, but this gave me the time to get through the curve without it being high stakes, so all good things on my end, and uh, Best part about being wardrobe supervisor is working with the cast and the crew and getting to know them, and the cast was wonderful, so I enjoyed that immensely. Yeah, I feel like uh, Virginia Woolf was absolutely the best show for all of us to come in and start on. It was a good jumping-off point. Um, I wasn't involved in the rehearsal process at all. I knew that I was going to be on Dracula, which was our second show as an ASM, um, and my apprenticeship kind of split up 50-50, so I was on production management for one, then an ASM on the next, and kind of flipped back and forth. Um, and I'm so glad that I did not start as an ASM here, because, like Sarah said, it, it really allowed me to get used to the company, how the company did tech, and, and how they produce shows just in general. 
Um, and also, it gave me a little bit more time to get to know everyone <laughs> before not having any time to get to know anyone in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I did end up getting to... So, like, during the rehearsal process and, and during tech, I was on the production management side. Um, I wasn't very... I wasn't super involved in a lot that went on with the show because I was still getting acclimated to how to track our our production budget, how to, you know, do contracts and that kind of thing. So I was still in the, like, beginning stages of, of learning how to do the production management side of things. Um, but I did have the opportunity to... I got to run the show as an ASM, and then I also got to call the show up in the booth. Um, so I shadowed the ASM and watched her track one night and then filled in for her as ASM the next night so that she could call the show. And then a couple days later, I shadowed the stage manager um, and watched her call. And then the next night I got to call the show. And it was a really good opening experience. I really enjoyed being able to do that and get a feel for how stage managers the triad work. And it was, it was just a really good introductory experience for sure. I feel, I agree so much with what you said, Catherine. And I, I feel like I was given to a lot of space to acclimate and to learn in that first month. Um, people at the company were very, very mindful that, it's a whole, even though you may have been in theater for however long, it's a, each company has its own style and, and uh, approach. And uh, it was, I really appreciated having um, uh, that supportive um, space. Yeah, I think that's why I really enjoyed working with the costume designer, Bill, because he's a, a fairly regular designer at Triad. So he knew the ropes. And so anytime I was slightly confused on like, oh, wait a minute, do you, do you prefer this or prefer this? Um, he would just, he's also a teacher. So a, a teacher at heart, he was able to give me additional information, which was just a bonus for me to have, even though it was pretty straightforward. He'd be like, you know, think about this and this. And so I had some learning moments there. Yeah, uh, I love that you bring up uh, Bill as a designer. I feel like one of the things that was great about Virginia Woolf being the first show this season for, for me um, was I felt like it was such a great example of triad's uh, approach to design work um i don't think this show has ever been done the way that they did it with that that voyeuristic quality and um the design was really this this um sandbox that i felt like anything was possible and um so out of the box and i don't, I don't think i'll ever see that show done that way again out of the box <laughs> <laughs> i think <Ooh>. what was <laughs> I think what was really cool, I, I totally agree with Keaton, uh, because I wasn't involved in the run of the show, I was able to watch it, um, and I I think I saw it almost every night. I watched every single preview. Really? And then, yeah, I watched it a ton, because it's one of those shows mm. where every single time I watched it, I realized something new, I got something new out of it, I heard someone say something new, you know, and that was really exciting for me. But then also, to the design end of it, I would sit in different parts of the house, and like generally to triad, pretty much every seat is a good seat. No matter where you sit in the house, it's a good seat. But for this one, the way that like that voyeur, voyeuristic quality was used, they like, with the mics, they mic'd the, the actors so that you kind of felt like you were 
you you intent you knew that you were watching something that was miked, and that added to it so much. And so when I sat at the very back of the house in the top seating section, I heard things a little bit different than I did when I was sitting on the floor. And so I like I every time I watched it, I tried to watch it from a different angle, and that design specifically really really let me like every single time I watched it, I was like, I've never seen him do that before. I've never heard it like that before. It was really cool. I felt like this was one of those shows that really encouraged conversation, not just because of the themes, but because of the thrust staging. I remember in tech and in previews, um, and when I would pop back in um, throughout the run, uh, I would find you at each interval, Catherine, uh, and we would trade stories, and it would we could get. I felt like I was able to get even a, a fuller idea of a moment because of seeing it from a different angle, mm-hmm. and um, we traded a lot of information each interval. Uh, I love such great memories yeah and going off of what you said Catherine, i didn't see it visually obviously but i did get to listen to it every single night and every night no matter what they were saying or you know which part we were at it's like i heard something different almost almost every time uh coming into the show i had heard of virginia wolf and i knew the general idea of it but i'd never read the script or seen you know the movie version of it or anything like that so um and during tech week, I was somewhat distracted with other things uh, in that learning curve. So it was really during previews when I could sit and listen to the wordiness of it. And there were times where, I got to be honest, sometimes the wordiness kind of got to me and I would zone out a little bit and then zone back in and be like, wait, what's going on? Because if you miss too much of that play, then you can get lost a little bit in their conversations. But since I was back there for three hours every night for four weeks, um, I didn't miss a bit of that conversation, and, uh, you know, you could take it in different ways. You could be like, oh, I'm, I'm really agreeing with George here, or I'm really agreeing with Martha here, and kind of see it from each of the four characters' perspectives in rotation, and it kind of gives you more insight into the play. So if you have a chance to see a play more than once, do it. Yeah, I would definitely say, as an audience member, too, um, coming out of doing nine months of Missoula, I, because of the nature of that job, I actually hadn't seen professional theater in almost a no that's not right like it was definitely like I got to see like two plays in between that but I I it was a lot less professional theater than I was used to seeing so in that sense um Virginia Woolf was a really big breath of fresh air and the acting was awesome the acting kicked butt yeah we had a really good cast for that I think that about wraps up our conversation today but before we go we still have our fun fact from Dromker Keaton Hi everyone, the fun fact I want to share this week is about Triad Stage's journey to producing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I get a lot of this from um, Preston Lane's director's note, so if you'd like to read this with more details, go to www.triadstage.org, find the Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf show page either on the homepage or you can go to past seasons. Um, Go there and you'll find a link to our playbill where you can read this note. Um, So... Our producing artistic director, Preston Lane, had wanted to do this play for some time, and he actually ran into Edward Albee uh, a couple times, um, and in his director's note, Preston mentions uh, that Albee had visited uh, Guilford College here in Greensboro at some point, and uh, Preston shared that he wanted to do Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and Albee insisted that he do another play, because Albee... uh, felt like everyone did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Well, the years went on, and uh, 2016 arrives, 
and Preston was teaching uh, some MFA directors and designers at UNC Greensboro. And uh, someone asks, why haven't you ever done an Albi play at Triad Stage? And Preston says, quote, I'll never do an Albi play until he is dead. Well, the class goes on, uh, and then news alerts started coming to people because the theater world is quite tight-knit, and this was a, a landmark story, um, that indeed Edward Albee was dead. And that's our fun fact for the week. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is that Preston killed Edward Albee. No, no. I, what, what I'm saying <laughs> is that we should, I think someone should write a play who killed Edward Albee. Ah, interesting. Have it like it be I, an Agatha Christie type. I kind of wish I was in that class. <laughs> like your professor goes, I'll do an Albee play when he's dead, and then your phone goes off saying, Edward Albee just died. Hmm. Hmm. Food, food for thought, indeed. Great. Thanks for joining us for Apprentice Plus. If you'd like to keep up to date with everything going on at Triad Stage, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you have any questions you'd like for us to answer, make sure to leave a comment on our post. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye! Bye.